Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, the young disciple who had accompanied them part of the way on the first journey. But if you remember your Bible study, John Mark didn't feel he could continue, and he turned back and went home. Maybe he spent a fourth or a third of the time, not sure exactly, but he turned around and went back home. And on this second journey, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, and Paul wouldn't have a thing about it. And so the two decided to go their separate ways, and Barnabas chose John Mark, and they went on to Cyprus, while Paul selected Silas, along with several other companions, and they went on a bold, audacious journey to Asia. Paul would follow a deeply planned itinerary, traveling from church to church, equipping leaders and building relationships where he had already been, and then continued west, and arrived at the town Lustra, where a young man named Timothy would join the group. And this is where we pick up in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 16. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lustra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of Timothy. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, so they all knew that his father was a Greek. And this was that they might not be a stumbling block to those Jews in that area. Verse 4 says, as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. So far, things are going along according to script. And they've added to their number and not only has Timothy joined them, who would be an instrumental companion over the life and ministry of Paul, but Luke reports that there was significant growth. Verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in faith and they grew daily in numbers. So this was good news as they went westward. And I can imagine Paul briefing his companions in the evenings as they mapped out their northwest itinerary to Asia. This was uncharted territory. Paul probably felt as excited as President John F. Kennedy felt about his vision to send humans to the moon before the end of the 60s. But God had other plans. A door was closed. As the writer of Proverbs says, in their hearts humans plan their course but the Lord establishes their steps. Often, there will be a door that will close in our itinerary. And we trust that the God who sees the future will open another as we seek to follow His plan for our lives and for our church. So let's see what happens next. Paul charted his course, but the Lord directed his steps. So we read verses 6 and 7, and I'll make some comments along the way here. So Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia 
and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. You see that? They were, the Holy Spirit kept them from preaching the word in Asia. A door was shut. Verse 7, when they came to the border of Mosia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Verse 6, so let's think about this for just a minute. Having been kept by the Holy Spirit, this is agnu pneumatos in the Greek, Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity. We understand that the Spirit works in, among, and through us. And Luke writes that the Holy Spirit kept them from preaching in Asia. Shut the door. The message version says their plan to turn west into Asia province, their plan was to turn west into Asia province, but the Holy Spirit blocked that route. Have you ever been driving down the interstate and unbeknownst to you, the exit's out of commission? I remember once we were traveling on I-64 East to one of Isabella's softball games in Highland Springs. And we had allowed enough time, but we did not allow enough time for the exit that was shut. And we had to go down and go on 295 loop around, get back on 64 West, and just barely made it to our ball game. This was an unexpected exit that was closed. The Spirit blocked the route. The Amplified Version, after being forbidden by the Holy Spirit, that's a strong word. The King James uses it as well, forbidden by the Holy Spirit. The Greek word translated here blocked the route, forbidden, or uh, having been kept. The Greek word translated is from the root that means to lock, as in pruning. When we prune our shrubs or our trees, we get our loppers out and we trim off growth so that there would be new growth in the spring. It is also used when wings are trimmed on foal, on fowl. The word also means to restrain or to correct. So Paul and his companions were very clearly kept from going to Asia. I don't know what Paul heard or how it happened. It just says that the Holy Spirit did that. And so they kept on going. Verse 7, the Spirit of Jesus. This is the same Holy Spirit, but Luke says the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to go to Asia. The message version again, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't let them go there either. They kept trying, but the door was closed. They amplified, the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. King James uses that same wording. The Greek word here is different than the first one. It means to let be, permit, or to leave alone. And the sense is that the Spirit of Jesus would not leave Paul alone to his own plans. And I'm thankful at times that, <clears throat> that the Holy Spirit has not let Bob Lee alone to my own plans. And in the rearview mirror, 
I can often see, oh, I'm thankful that God changed my course. God disrupted Paul's agenda. He would not leave Paul alone in his own plans. That's the God with us, Emmanuel. Having been kept from going to Asia on two occurrences and in different times in their itinerary, Paul and the group decided to keep going west. They just were heading that same direction. They could not turn up to Asia, so they kept going west. It's sort of like what famed Yankees catcher Yogi Berra once said. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. They kept on going. And they ended up in a city called Troas, the chief port in northwest Asia Minor. And it was where in Troas where Paul received a vision from God. So now we look at verses 8 through 10 here in our text. So they passed by Musia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Verse 10, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And this is the very first time that you see the word we, the plural personal pronoun, where previously it was when they came, when they went. Verse 10, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once. God called us to preach. <coughs> this is where Luke, the author of Acts and of the Gospel of Luke, joins Paul and is becoming narrator here of what's happening. First-hand experience of Luke joining the journey. So they get to this place, Troas, and there's a vision that Paul receives. And what we learn is there was immediate obedience. They continued along the route toward Macedonia. They enlisted others. Luke and others joined Paul, Silas, Timothy on this journey. And they came to a conclusion that it was God's will. Look at verse 10 one more time. At the end, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. They came to a consensus, an understanding, a conclusion that it was very clear that God was at work here. The Greek word translated conclusion is symbibiazo. And the root is from the word that refers to the human foot and our steps. And the definition of this word is that God caused them to come to a unity in where they would be walking, where they would be stepping, what their uh, basis would be. The, it, the word means to cause, to coalesce, to join together, to put together, to unite, or to bring together. It's a wonderful vision of unity as they followed the plans of God to Macedonia. They didn't know exactly what they would do there or what God would do next, but they had an understanding of, yes, 
God is calling and we shall follow. As we look back over the history of our church, you can see this symbionto happen. As the church formed in the house just across the street, as the church came together in unity to move to Bonaire Elementary School, as the church came together in unity to acquire this track of land on Huguenot Road to begin this work here, Huguenot Baptist Chapel, as the church came to look at the vision for its campus and built buildings, most recently the addition that tied all three of the buildings together, the church was symbiazzo in unity as we walked together. And I believe this is critical for the vision of the church for tomorrow, that we must walk together in step, symbiazzo, as Paul and his companions did following the will of God to Macedonia. And oh, the fruit that would come, the fruit that comes from a church that is in unity. How good and pleasing it is for God's people to walk together in unity, as the psalmist reminds us. This is a great picture for the church. The Spirit kept them from going their own way. Thank you, God, for keeping me from going my own way so often. God spoke in a dream and revealed that plan. Just enough that they could be together to follow it. And they had a peace. I imagine a very clear peace that passes all understanding, as Paul wrote later in the letter to the Philippian church in chapter 4. And God worked in their hearts that they were one together. Let's look at a quick map of the Mediterranean area. We can just see this take place. On your map on the far right-hand side is where they started, and it's Antioch of Syria. And then they went up through Cilicia and continued west. And the A on your map, the blue letter A, is Asia. And that's where Paul had, had planned to take a right and go up to bring the gospel to Asia. By the way, that would happen later, but just not at this time. The T on your map is the port of Troas, where Paul had the vision of the man from Macedonia. The P on your map is the city of Philippi. And then the M, of course, is Macedonia. This is a long, long journey, far from home. And on the way back, you can see the lower route that is for another study, as you might be interested in Paul's, the rest of Paul's second missionary journey. But this gives us a picture. And I believe that um, God was very uh, intentional about leading uh, Paul to this place. Philippi was one of the leading Roman cities. It might be like a, a, a cosmopolitan New York City or Los Angeles where there are all kinds of people and languages and cultures going on here. So they go to uh, Neapolis and then eventually find themselves in Philippi. And let's read the rest of our passage starting at verse 11. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Thermocrate. And the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and as Luke writes, the leading city of that district of Macedonia. 
and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And verse 15 says, When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So Philippi was the leading city in the Roman district of Macedonia. And you can see the story that Lydia became the first Gentile to become a follower of Jesus in that region. She and her household were baptized and she became one of the most generous and committed supporters of the early church's mission. It was this trip to Philippi that changed the entire landscape of the Mediterranean world and would make the way for the gospel to be taken into Europe. Paul's letters to Philippi, Corinth, and Thessalonica are all to churches in this region. If it were up to Paul, he'd have gone to Asia. But the Spirit of God would not let them go there. The timing just wasn't right. Sometimes that happens in our lives. We have our plans, but the timing is just not right, and God will redirect our steps. God desired, I believe, that they would go to more necessary places where they would encounter people from all over the known world including Athens, and people like Priscilla and Aquila from Corinth would become tremendous supporters of the missionary movement. Later in his life, Paul would write the believers at Philippi from prison, maintaining overwhelming, overflowing joy that only Christ could bring. In the first couple of verses of chapter 1 of Philippians, Paul writes this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And his letter is overflowing with joy, though he himself is in prison. And we're going to spend the rest of January and part of February studying this joy-filled letter of Philippians. And I pray that we will be encouraged as a church, that we will be spirit-led and brought to a heightened sense of symbiazo, unity, as we approach the future as Christians and as a church. About a year ago, our deacons decided to integrate part of a fresh expressions conference into their retreat. And one of the speakers was Keisha Polonio, who's a mission strategist with Fresh Expressions, which is a movement uh, uh, through, it's affiliated with Virginia Baptist, but emerged out of England. And it's a wonderful movement of the gospel. And in Keisha's message, she said this, that the church must be called back to her source of power, 
wisdom, and unity. She must not, meaning the church, rely on human strategy or effort, but rather be led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. She's referring back to the story we just heard. She stated that the problem with many churches and pastors and leaders today is that they only rely on the Spirit of God when their own strategies are exhausted or when they are exhausted. When we get to the end of our own strength, then we turn to the Lord. And she said, quote, Our competencies threaten our dependence on the Spirit of God. The more we know, meaning the more we know in our mind, the more we are tempted to let go of God. I believe that's so true. The more I know, the more I can say, I can do this, I got this, I can run a church, I can figure it out. We can run a church, we can meet, we can do worship, we can keep the lights on, we can visit, but is that truly what God wants for the church, for the kingdom? The community around us needs churches that are more than just maintenance and keeping the bills paid and keeping the mortgage up and keeping the lights on and keeping the staff paid and visiting those who are sick and so forth. The church needs churches who are spirit-filled, spirit-led, who are empowered to do the work of the kingdom and who are willing to say yes when God calls, even though we may not fully understand the ultimate destination that God has for us. May we be churches who are dependent on God, fully dependent on God. May we humble ourselves and set aside our own competencies and our own self-guided plans and surrender ourselves to the will of God. As we stand here at the threshold of 2022, let us embrace the words of the ancient prophet Jeremiah who said, Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for yourselves. May it be so.